Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Maps Film Room Podcast. I'm Jay Apaji, joined alongside by the rest of the crew, Rohan, Fazel, and Vinay. We're recording this on Monday, January 30th, just uh, before 11 p.m., and the Mavericks have defeated the Detroit Pistons 111-105 to here in Dallas. It was a frustrating game for about three quarters of this one uh, until the Mavericks were able to put together a good stretch uh, in the fourth quarter to take the lead and luckily never give it back to Detroit. But the big story from this one was Luka having 53 points uh, to go along with eight rebounds and five assists in this one in 36 minutes of game time. And in this game, Luka set the Mavericks franchise record for the highest scoring performance in a regular or in a regulation game. Uh, so just uh, another legendary performance from Luca. Uh, obviously, you would prefer him to not have to play like this to d- defeat a 13-win team. But nevertheless, the Mavericks got the win. They're a game better than they were that uh, when they entered today. So uh, that's always good. And we're going to talk about that game a little bit. And we're also going to talk about the recent trade rumors uh, surrounding the Mavericks because I think... It's getting close to that time. We're about 11 days away from the trade deadline. Uh, so the Mavericks name is coming up in a lot of different rumors, and we'll get to that. But first, got to check on these guys. How's it going? Uh, pretty pretty decent. Uh, at least the Mavs didn't lose that game, although I would have been fine no matter what the result is, considering I watched the Pistons. Um, I'm very frustrated right now, though, because I'm trying to get ChatGPT to write my trade deadline Uh wonkness for me um yeah i've been good too um if the mavs had lost though unlike rohan i would have uh walked out into the street where it's currently below freezing and just gotten hypothermia and died so we uh, do not live in that reality thankfully um but yeah otherwise you know things have been good Jay, I feel great. I felt really great, especially after Luca scored 53, and then I went mild after you showed up 15 minutes late to the recording of this. <laughs> well, I was just trying to emulate the NBA's uh, approach to start times, where they start later than they advertise. So, hate the game, not the player. Anyways, let's uh, let's just talk about this game right now. Luca, I, you know, I kind of am at a loss for words for how easy the game is. You know, obviously he missed the last two games with an ankle injury. Uh, luckily, it wasn't that severe, and he came back tonight looking like he didn't miss a beat. Uh, he had 45 points through three quarters, and he started the game uh, or started the fourth quarter coming off the bench, which honestly was surprising to me because based on how the game had gone before this, with Detroit going up by as much as 11 points in the third quarter. I thought that the Mavericks would need Luka to play at least the beginning of the fourth quarter and maybe the entire quarter, but um, you know, credit Spencer Dinwiddie and, and Josh Green especially for helping the Mavericks build a lead uh, in the fourth. But I think if Luka had actually started the fourth quarter, you know, we might have seen another 60-point game. I mean, that's kind of how he was scoring tonight. Yeah, I'm glad that, um, you know, Luca managed to get a tiny bit more rest starting the fourth quarter and that the other guys 
namely Spencer, managed to pick it up um, and not totally crap the bed with him off the court. Um, I feel like it's only to be expected given we were playing the 13-win Pistons, but I'm glad that happened anyway. Um, and to your point about Luca, you know, looking decent, he said... He still said in that post-game interview with Skin, the short one, um, right after the game, uh, he said that his ankle isn't at 100% yet, but, I mean, hey, I guess there's still a couple more games, uh, sorry, a couple days left before the Mavs' next game, so hopefully in that time he can get a lot closer to 100%. I just want to highlight that the league has changed so much since the first time that Luka, or sorry, since the first time that a Maverick scored 53 points against an opponent. I mean, when Dirk did that against the Rockets in 2004, the Rockets were a very good team. Luka Doncic just had to score 53 points in order to beat the worst team in the NBA. That, that's all I have to say about this game. Yeah, I think more than anything, this game for me just kind of highlighted the others and the others meaning everyone besides Luke. And I know it looks worse without your second best player and Christian Wood being not there. And obviously Maxi's still out, but it just kind of, once again, like the fact that we needed 53 points to Rohan's point to be the worst team in basketball is just a poor sign for what we have in our supporting cast. Yeah, I mean, there was uh, a stretch in the first quarter where you know, Luca had, I think, like 18 of the Mavericks' first 20 points. And then by the end of the first quarter, uh, the Mavericks had 33, I believe. Um, and 20, or I think they had 30, and 24 of those points came from Luca. So, you know, it, it does kind of show, like, like you said, how dire the situation is with the Mavericks, um, just in terms of having guys that, uh, are not very adept with uh, creating off the dribble. I mean, and again, the Mavericks were fortunate uh, that Luca, you know, came out of the game, came out, you know, in the beginning of the game firing. Um, you know, I sometimes do wonder, like, how much of the Mavericks role players, you know, inability to support at times is a result of Luca having these, like, insane scoring stretches. Because obviously, when Luca's scoring like that, uh, if you're a role player playing next to him, you tend to kind of defer. Uh, to that guy. I mean, not just Luca for any player that's on such a hot streak like that. But I think in the case of the Mavs and Luca, we see this even otherwise too. Like even when, you know, things are kind of stuck in the mud for them in the games and Luca's not necessarily you know, just making every shot like he did in the first quarter. Um but it's just that there's no other player capable of scoring on the team. It's almost forcing Luca to just do so much, and it's kind of a chicken and egg problem. But I do think that the problem can be solved uh, with some more capable, you know, players around him, uh, and in terms of shot creation. And you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum now. Yeah, even Spencer Dinwiddie tonight really needed Luca to be out in order to have the ball in his hands enough and to get the defensive attention that he needed in order to play well and get into a rhythm. Before that, he was really struggling, and I really attribute that to the difference on court. Yeah, I think part of it was also, in Spencer's case, due to fatigue from you know the heavy carrying he's been doing lately. But um, you're, you definitely have a point with how he needed the ball in his hands as the primary decision-maker a little more. And obviously, I'm not really intending that as a slide on Luka, but um, if there's anything that really stood out to me, I almost tweeted this myself uh, throughout the game at some point, was that just 
I'm kind of baffled at how, um, you know, all, all these couple of games with Luka out, the rest of the Mavs, sure, they didn't play amazingly because, you know, they didn't win very much. But they did play a little more competently. They were just beaten because of the limitations of their very talent, uh, talentless roster, which is fine. Like, you know, it's at the end of the day, you might as well just concede those games. It's a long regular season, blah, blah, blah. But now Luka comes back in, and a lot of these guys, in theory, have it much easier. Their jobs are much easier now, and yet they, uh, throughout the first, you know, two borderline three quarters, they played as if they had never picked up a basketball before. And that's not something that you see with other superstars and their supporting casts. Like, you know, of course, say in the case of Jason Tatum, like, yeah, that supporting cast is insane. But even, like, with Jokic... Um, just as an example, like his supporting cast is, it's good, but it's not anything otherworldly. And yet, you know, when he's off the court, the Nuggets don't tend to crap themselves quite as badly as the Mavericks do when Luke is off the court or even in, you know, when Jokic makes plays and passes to an open teammate on the Nuggets, they tend to like convert, you know, unlike the Mavs and Luka. So just watching this game tonight, that was... A bit of a sore spot, I think. Yeah, I really had no hope going through those three quarters. Um, even when things kind of got tight there, I was just assuming that at some point Davis Bertans would go back in and we would be down 14 again. So thank God for Luca and thank God for that run to start the fourth. What size Davis Bertans jersey do you want, by the way, Rohan? Uh, get me a large for sure. You know, I might actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> Only if it's a Retroplex jersey. You know, 44 is not a bad number. Yeah, I mean, ask Boyan Bogdanovich, who, uh, yeah. who was a laser tonight and who apparently the Mavs could have had last year. Apparently Derek year. Harper told uh, before the game to come to Dallas and apparently Boyan Bogdanovich said that he wanted to or, or something like that. I kind of missed it, but that's what uh, that's what someone told me. <laughs> Was Derek Harper the missing free agent pitch that we needed all these years? Hey, maybe Talents he were was. just wasted on the broadcast crew. All I'm going to say is this is a franchise that decided to create a, a fake comic book pitch before bringing in the retired players of their franchise to pitch about their franchise. But that's still better than comparing uh, <laughs> comparing Blake Griffin to MLK and Gandhi, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, it worked, so you, I guess you just have to know your audience, really. At that's least the true. Clippers that's got true. the deal. And honestly, why wouldn't that work? I feel like I'd want to be compared to, <laughs> compared to those guys, too. Also, maybe we shouldn't be lionizing people. They were just people, right? They, were, they weren't yeah. gods. <laughs> But Blake Griffin, on the other hand, is a god. Exactly. A god. <laughs> if you're going to bring up the... Um, I know we're getting a little off topic here, but if you're going to bring up the Dwight Howard Superman comic book pitch, <laughs> then um, I'm, I'm annoyed that, what was it, the season before, the one time we needed Mark Cuban to like actually do be present and do something and get what we didn't know was a washed-up Darren Williams and be present for a meeting... He was off doing Shark Tank. Like, yeah, okay. Nowadays, that's okay because I want him to be less hands-on. 
but a decade ago, especially like you know, pretty fresh off the championship. Uh man, yeah. I guess it's for the best we didn't get Darren though, because we would have been saddled with that contract. What, what am I saying? He was still a decent player. God, yeah, he, yeah, no, he was still fucking... good. No, now that you mention it though, like I still cannot believe that happened. Like at the time, it was egregious, and I was like, "What the fuck?" But now, like you know, it's been it's been eleven years since then. But now that you mention it again, I'm like, Jesus, that actually happened. Like the guy who prides himself on being super involved with his team was like not there for like the biggest moment that they needed him in i still can't believe it but whatever i mean whatever, whatever. it's fine we're, let's not rehash it but D darren williams would have been better than the i don't know running conga line that they had through the years afterwards um, yeah, because we lost Jason Kidd that offseason. And then they eventually just got Darren Williams when he was older, right? So, like, <laughs> if you're going to be saddled with a contract anyways. I mean, they spent money on Chandler Parsons for that many years. So, my whole point is, like, there are much worse things that the Mavs could and have done with that money. Um, but, yeah, maybe we should have seen the Jalen Brunson thing coming. Yeah, but to, to kind of get back to this game um, and some of the points that... That, that you guys made. I mean, I think like Tim Hardaway Jr. has kind of been all season long the personification of the Mavericks roster and the flaws that it has. I mean, we see that when he hits four or more three-pointers, the Mavericks are have some record like 10 and three or, or something like that uh, that might have changed after this weekend. I, I wasn't able to watch the games, but um, tonight was unfortunately not a great Tim Hardaway game. And I don't have the stats pulled up right now, but... I can tell you that it wasn't good. Um, there were a lot of bad turnovers that he had. There were times where, you know, he had the shot clock or had the ball at the end of the shot clock, um, you know, got trapped either on the three-point line or was inside the arc trying to dribble um, against a, a double team and ended up turning the ball over. Like, those kind of things can happen um, if the Mavericks want to be successful. And... I do feel like there's a way for them to avoid those types of situations, but at the same time, you know, when Luca's getting aggressively trapped and, and someone else has got to make a play, like really outside of Spencer Dinwiddie, who do you trust to do that? I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr. at this point in his career, if he's inside the three-point line, I think it's a liability. Um, and that was on full display tonight. And, and I love Tim Hardaway Jr. for what he's done for the Mavericks, but if he is the guy that the entire equation outside of Luca hinges on, I think that's a problem. Yeah, and it clearly should have been on Jalen Brunson. I hate to... Nobody likes yeah. continuing to talk about that, but I think this is the juncture right around the All-Star break where we can really look at it and say, yeah, the Mavericks treated Tim Hardaway Jr. the way they should have treated Jalen Brunson, which is at least to value him. They yeah. valued him enough to dangle him as trade bait, Tim Hardaway Jr., for a number of years. Didn't even really do that with Jalen Brunson. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense to me why the Mavericks were, you know, they did the right thing with Tim Hardaway. I mean, they entered, they had an offseason in which they didn't have cap space. They did the correct thing of prioritizing, retaining, you know, their existing free agents. But it just is, is, is strange that they didn't do it with Brunson. I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but that, I just had to get that observation in there. We brought up Darren Williams already. We're beating lots of dead horses. <laughs> I will say that... Um... You know, seeing Tim fail to properly address the harsh, aggressive double teams that Detroit sent at him um, 
that was kind of indicative to me of a broader issue with the Mavericks role players in that they're not really putting forth the mental or physical effort to like anticipate those kinds of um, aggressive defensive schemes. And I don't know if they're just deciding to conserve energy during the regular season and, you know, save up for the playoffs, which at some points I feel they kind of did with some success last season because, well, last season, you know, the team was a lot deeper and they could have relied on Jalen as a pressure valve, um, as a great one next to Luca. Um, but this year, I don't know. I don't know if it's conserving energy or like natural athletic decline, but it's starting. I don't think anybody should be disagreeing that the Mavericks need to make a big switch up and they need to get a lot younger because at, at this rate, I don't think things are going to be going well, you know, years, you know, a couple years from now or let alone next year if they keep on running it back with largely the same roster let's let's make it like super like simple what what the Mavs are actually missing with Jalen Brunson out right it's a three-level scorer that is a fundamental basketball player what's the thing we said when he and Luca were drafted and we had got to see them for this amount of time in their rookie years Jalen Brunson is rough. We'll look at him in year three and kind of determine what he can be. But he has great fundamentals. I mean, even for any guard in the league, right? You're seeing that with Hardy right now, if anything. Like, Hardy does not have the fundamental, like, ability to dribble in to be a three-level scorer. He's still having to develop that. I mean, there's a, a lot of his game that's still raw. And you see that with a lot of teams in the league right now. Even some of the best headliners... Uh, like let's say DeJounte Murray not the most fundamental scorers right like the the league doesn't necessarily value that as much because athleticism will allow you will allow that to get in the way but if you actually look at last year the person who was who was consistently scoring in those opportunities in those secondary opportunities was Jalen Brunson and now they have nobody like they don't have a single person who can just off of fundamentals get a basket that's really what it is. There's no easy baskets with Jalen Brunson gone. Um, and so they need to find somebody that can get an easy basket. Everything that we've said about Spencer Dinwiddie in the last two or three episodes that has been good. The one thing I will say is he is not like, he's not the guy who's going to be your shooting guard next to a really good point guard as your like second or third best player in that lineup. Like it, that just doesn't really work. He works as a tertiary scorer. Um, as a tertiary shot creator, as a tertiary playmaker. And he can really excel in those roles. Um, he's good on the bench, but he is not one of those guys that can just mix you up or create a shot himself. Um, and it really is because of that fundamental game. He He's still gaming the three-point line a lot, um, whereas Jalen Brunson was able to operate in that middle area. Um, and that is that is definitely a loss. Uh, Luca also this year has operated less in the mid range up until this point. I think though, over the last month or two, he's been bringing up his numbers. Uh, little turnaround shots and stuff has have gone up in volume even more because defenses are treating him differently. But especially to start the season, he was mostly posting up, or at least at a greater volume, he was posting up. So. I think it's curious, or at least I'm curious to see 
what a trade deadline move could do for how Luca's playing in this crazy season that he's having, what type of shots he's having to take, etc. Well, you know, um, there is an overpaid yet, albeit um, competent, three-level scorer on the trade market, and his name is D'Angelo Russell. You beat me to that one. Um, yeah, I mean, D'Angelo Russell pretty much fits the Brunson archetype. I mean, right down to the fact that he's a lefty. Um, but yeah, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie has, again, like, I feel like I got to mention this every time we talk about him, but has played like above the expectations that I had and I think most people had for him when the trade happened last year. That being said, he has kind of become almost exclusively um, a catch and shoot three point shooter that can also dribble to the basket uh and get layups which is good but at the same time like rohan mentioned that's probably not good enough uh to be a secondary player on a on a contending team um i think as a third or fourth option that's that's more than uh than adequate and so i think the mavericks again need as many players as they can get that can score at all three levels um that can at least you know adjust when the defense is closing out on them and at least take a few dribbles inside the three-point line. They really lack that skill right now. And D'Angelo Russell is probably the closest thing that they can find this season that gets them, um, you know, that Brunson-type player in the mix. But it remains to be seen what Minnesota wants for him as well as what the Mavericks would be willing to give up for him. I do think the Mavericks probably are only going to be willing to give up, you know, the matching salary and maybe like a couple seconds, but um, I don't know. I mean, D'Angelo Russell's been playing well recently, but tonight he didn't have a great game, and I think a lot of people took note of, of that, but uh, definitely a name to watch as the trade deadline comes up. Yeah, I, there's a lot of things to love about that fit. I think you pretty much summed it up simply, though, by saying that he's a Jalen Brunson archetype, or at least plays similarly to Brunson in that three-level score aspect and as a shot creator. That being said, Playmaking is another thing that, you know, you're going to miss in that regard, but you can make up for it in other ways. Really, my concern there is, obviously, second-round picks are preferable to first-round picks. I think, Fazel, you talked last episode about a way that they could potentially restructure and send a first. I would hate to do that. I don't think that would necessarily be worth it. Um, but I understand why it might end up being the case. Um, that being said, I don't know. I, I I don't know if it's the right decision to buy in on D'Lo at this point. I know that the Mavericks are at a point where they're pretty desperate, but does that desperation make you want to buy low on D'Angelo Russell? I think he would love to be here, but would he be the right co-star in two or three years when the Mavs aren't as desperate and maybe when Christian Wood isn't also still a Maverick. I don't know. And I, I think that's a pretty, I, I know that we're not no. locked in with him for two years. Like he's only has, he's an expiring, right? But there's also extension talks that would have to happen eventually. So, you know, it, there are more complexities to this. Yeah, I'm honestly, I think a little bit lower on D'Angelo Russell being an acquisition here. I mean, obviously, it depends on what it would cost, but I mean, our defense as is is what I think before today it was around 18th or 19th. Um, I could be wrong on that, but it's around there, I believe. 
And, uh, I mean, if you add D'Angelo Russell to a lineup that you're assuming you're closing out with Dinwiddie, Luca, Dorian, and whoever else, I just, I just, that's too much bleeding for me defensively in a playoff series. Um, I don't know how much that would really, I think it would, I really don't think that would move the needle much for us, if I'm being honest, as bad as our talent is outside of Luca. I'm imagining yeah. with Maxi out, Bertans, D'Lo, Luca, and Spencer. And I'm internally crying. I mean, yeah, I don't think there exists really a trade on the market right now that, that you know, quote-unquote moves the needle for the Mavericks. I think it's all about balancing priorities, and those two priorities are trying to improve at least a little bit this year while also doing something to change your makeup or, or get better for the future. I mean, I don't think the Mavericks are going to you know, sell their veterans for future draft capital. That seems pretty unlikely to me. Uh, but I do think that maybe if you can get the right deal in which you can shake things up to change your playing style, I think that might be something that they could look at doing, like, you know, trading Reggie Bullock. Um, you know, I don't, I mean, you know, if you can if you can get an asset for him and, and Cam Reddish that, that might do something for you, it opens up more. Minutes for Josh Green, which is certainly important to the future, um, you know, and against Cam Reddish, who's a young player who has struggled in his career, but you know, sometimes a change of scenery can do a player wonders. Again, that that trade is not really moving the needle for the Mavs this year, but if Josh Green can improve from that trade, I think it does a lot for you potentially this year, but more importantly for the future. Um, but another rumor that's kind of surfaced in the last couple of days is that, you know, the, the Mavericks are looking um, at upgrading on the wing. Um, a name that's come up for them is Dorian Finney-Smith. And we've seen Dorian's name uh, be floated in trade rumors in the past because of the type of contract that he was on before and just how much he was producing for the Mavericks made him a great value um, he is on, of course, a larger contract now, but still a very important piece of the Mavericks um, and is highly regarded across the league. Y yesterday, Matt Moore uh, reported that, of the Action Network, reported that the Utah Jazz could be a potential trade partner for the Mavs. Uh, today, this morning, Shams Charania of The Athletic reported that the Jazz are heavily interested in Dorian Finney-Smith, but at the same time, the Mavericks value him highly and likely won't trade him uh, unless it's in a package for a bigger star and you know we saw um, or we heard Tim McMahon on the Low Post podcast this afternoon kind of reiterate the same thing but these sorts of things kind of tell you how the Mavericks are thinking right now they understand that they need to get better um, you know they also understand that they really don't see a path uh, to a you know major improvement at the deadline but I think there is some smoke, you know, coming up between the Mavs and the Jazz right now. Um, I, I personally don't think Dorian Finney-Smith is going to get traded at the deadline, but perhaps there's another deal to be made there. I think if he fits into a larger deal, it's not the worst guy to involve in a trade. And I only say that because we, all, we both, well, we all ma value Maxi and Dorian very heavily. And I think in Dallas, they're valued enormously, probably more than they'd be valued anywhere else but there also is the sense that you have to sell high on these players because teams want them when they have something to offer um so i i think entertaining those conversations is pretty vital um that being said 
Yeah, I, d- I don't think like I don't think a move where you send the Jazz Dorian Finney-Smith and you get I don't know Beasley or Clarkson out of it. I don't know how the salaries would match. I don't have that in front of me, but you get somebody that they have out of it. I don't think that moves the needle at all for the Mavs. If anything, it gives them another veteran contributor, which is okay. But you also lose a significant amount of your defensive capability for an already defensively hamstrung team. I don't know how smart of a decision that would be. Um, I I'm curious what y'all think about the heat as well, but I'll let other people answer this. Um, I feel like Dorian Finney-Smith, if he was on a different team and he was available for a trade, would be a guy that we would be amped to trade for. And in that sense, I don't really say a trade, uh, especially in this trade deadline window, that we would trade Dorian for that would honestly benefit us. Because I think, like you said, uh, Dorian and Maxi, we value highly here in Dallas, maybe more so than other teams do, but we do for a reason, and that's because they're that important to our defense um, and on our current roster. Obviously, things can change. Um, but he's not untouchable by any means. No one on this team is untouchable besides Luca for any trade. Um, I just don't see the right targets out there for this deadline with Dorian. Yeah, so um, first off, before I get into everything else, I want to say when you bring up Miami, Rohan, what are you exactly looking at there? Because the only two people who come to mind, maybe three, like just immediately, are um, Jimmy Butler, which I really don't think they're going to blow it up. So he's out. And then Caleb Martin uh, and what's his face? Uh, Victor Oladipo. And I guess in theory, Omar Yurtseven could be included in the trade as like salary filler, and you have the expectation of him, you know, being a contributing member next season. But he's been out with ankle surgery for most, if not all, of this season, I think. So this year, he's not going to be doing anything for a team. Yeah, I wasn't looking at it as a specific trade partner, more so as an indicator that other teams do value the Mavs role players highly, even when we may not. Um, more so that okay i got you um yeah thanks thanks for clarifying that um so okay as for everything else i was going to get into um yeah i i definitely think that dorian is pretty safe as far as these things go with the trade talks and especially now that the rumors have been leaked um cuban and the maps front office generally like to keep a tight lip on these things. So if they have, you know, now that word is out um, and I'm sure that the rumors are legitimate, uh, there's probably a decent chance, decently reduced chance of a deal actually going through. Um, I do like the fact, I, I had no issue with any of the reporting this morning. I do like the fact that Dorian's basically only available as an upgrade for a star. I, I think going backwards and getting picks and selling off, selling him off, um, especially for him, of all the people, all the vets on this team you could do that for, uh, that's the wrong move. Uh, if, But I do have to admit, like, Dorian would be worth a lot. He'd be worth two first-round picks, I think, because, you know, Royce O'Neal was traded for a first in the offseason, and I guess, you know, part of that was maybe because of Rudy Gobert's trade messing up the market dramatically. Um, but he still got a first, fucking Royce O'Neal of all people. And then a couple of years ago, when Robert Covington got traded, um, and he was still pretty a pretty high-profile guy, 
he got two first round picks as well, which is I think where Dorian's value might legitimately lie because he is still, you know, a slow start to the season be damned. He's still a, a really good player and we know that he's not like he's not really that cooked. I, I don't think so. Um so that's that's still good to hear. As far as potential like trade candidates, um, I feel like it's only right to bring up Bojan Bogdanovic, but I don't think he's getting traded, even though he would be an amazing offensive weapon to add. Um, he's been having a spectacular season, and he keeps on defying age because he's, what, 33 years old? So I've been predicting this guy to fall off a cliff ever since he was like 31 and putting up decent seasons. So, um, you know, it just goes to show how much I know, I guess. But I'm sure his asking price from the Pistons, it's got to be a little too much. Um, he, they, I just saw a report earlier today that says they consider him a part of their core moving forward. And I know that's some like, you know, corporate BS of how you're going to be a lifer, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it is still, it still speaks to how much they actually do value him as they rightfully should. Um but I guess, you know, it's decent to bring him up as an option. But one guy who I was actually really interested in talking about, even if I don't necessarily want him on the Mavs, is um, Bones Highland, who the reporting just came out today that the Nuggets are actively shopping him, and they're either trying to get a decent uh, veteran who can play defense and I think maybe shoot threes. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not really... I don't have the article in front of me. Or they're looking for a first-round pick, which... I do believe the Mavericks can offer either of those things. And heading back to um, what you mentioned, what I said in the last episode, with them being able to trade a first, that's that's true. If they phrase it in such a way that they say the first available first round pick, um, then 2025, 27, um, all those picks become available, and you don't necessarily have to like wait to include um, a really distant future first like. I believe 2026 or 2029 um, or 28 for that matter. Makes um, sense. And you can actually have a lot more first available to trade this season. But again, I don't think that's necessarily the best move to go about. And Bones is interesting because, you know, he's so young and he's a scoring talent. I'd ne- I wouldn't necessarily call him a three-level scoring talent, but he is a floor spacer and he does you know, fulfill the role of a volume shooter. So um, there's definitely room to work with if a team for a team who acquires him, but I don't believe that team's going to be the Mavericks. I don't know if it should be the Mavericks either. Um, I like Bones Highland as a player, but I don't think that he is the type of guy that you trade future draft capital for. Um, again, I mean, it it is kind of like a reiteration of keeping your powder dry but i just think that you know there are probably better players that'll come up that you know in the, in the near future that might be more worth the first round pick um bogdanovich again like had a great game tonight and you know con- continues to show that he's getting better with age um i would love him on this team but i agree with you and i agree with what tim mcmahon said today that while that kind of move would make luca happy in the short term it's likely not a good enough, you know, trade to justify trading a future first round pick. Um, because, you know, with his age, who knows how long this kind of production is going to hold up. And we've seen the Mavericks kind of get burned now with, with some older veteran players like JaVale McGee is a prime example of that. Um, 
Reggie Bullock in the first half of the season, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. right now. Like, this team is, like, kind of, I think what Rohan said at the beginning, is kind of suffering from uh, general athletic decline from some of their core players right now. And so um, someone on Bones Highland's timeline would be good. Um, but again, I think at least you just need to put yourself in a position to be able to get players that are more aligned uh, with this timeline. So, I mean, even like a D'Angelo Russell, he's 26 and, you know, you have maybe 30 games or so to evaluate his future fit with the team uh, before he hits free agency next uh, next summer. But I think that whatever moves the Mavericks make this, you know, this deadline, and I do think that they will make a move at least, um, will probably be marginal um, with the understanding that they need to change up the way that they play uh, in order to get to where they want to go, which is to win a championship. What do we think about uh, JaVale and Alec Burks? I mean, I, I would love Alec Burks on this team, but he's, again, kind of in the same boat as Boyan Bogdanovich, where the Pistons, at least publicly, don't seem very eager to trade him. Um, but, you know, anything can happen, I guess, between now and the deadline. Luka's, uh, you know, Luca's a fan of Alec Burks, as we've seen that tweet <laughs> kind of reposted a bunch of times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's going to be a marginal move, might as well, you know, appease the superstar. So, I'm I'm not super optimistic about this trade deadline. I think there will be a move, but it'll be a marginal move. I I don't know if this trade deadline is going to have anything from any team that's going to be that like fundamentally like ground moving just because what is what is what can do that after the Rudy Gobert trade I, I don't know what can do that yeah um, go ahead Bob. yeah like you like you guys said I don't think there's going to be a huge move made but it's a shame I don't really recall the Mavericks and Spurs dealing with each other that much, which makes sense because, you know, division rivals and all. But if there was ever a time to do that because the Spurs are, you know, still in the middle of their tank, then it would be now. And they do have intriguing players like um, old buddy Josh Richardson and Doug McDermott, both of them. Um, and I'm sure they could be had for, like, I saw some reports that said the Spurs might expect first, but I don't. I don't think that's realistic in any universe. So I'm, I'm sure, like you know, giving them say Dwight, who might be a little too steep of a price to pay, but I do think that you know, from Dwight to Jay Rich or McDermott would be an improvement, or you know, give him Javale and you know as many seconds as you can offer. Um, I think that would be an interesting move. Again, definitely not something that moves the needle, but it would at least give the other players, namely Luca, something to work with and like make their lives easier. As sad as it is, I actually don't think we can afford to lose Dwight Powell because our big depth is so poor. No, uh, straight I up, I do not want to see Davis Bertans get more minutes as the big man rotation for the Mavs gets better. Like, that would be the opposite of what I want. Honestly, I might just go for the D'Lo trade purely because that would allow us to maybe get off of Bertans' contract. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I would I would think that the Mavericks are trying to get off of Berton's contract, but again, it's just one of those things that's hard to envision them being able to do without giving up draft picks, which we all know that they're not going to. So, I mean, Berton's contract is, um, I think, up for two more seasons after this, and the final year of his contract is partially guaranteed for, I believe, $10 million. So maybe next year uh, that'll become a little bit more viable to be traded. Um, and, you know, speaking of partial guarantees, I mean, Reggie Bullock's contract is uh, only partially guaranteed for, I think, $5 million next season. So uh, if the Mavericks don't trade him, he's still uh, far from guaranteed to be on the team next season, I, I think. Um, so his contract could work in favor in terms of finding a deal for him. Um, Christian Wood is another name, I think, that we got to continue to monitor. Um, just because of his situation with the extension. Um, and I mean, I heard Tim McMahon say this on the Low Post podcast today, that every day that goes by that they don't you know, come to an extension agreement uh, lessens the likelihood of an extension actually being reached. Um, and he also did mention that if there was a player on the Mavericks that was most likely to be traded, it would be Christian Wood. Um, at the same time, how much value you'd be able to get from Christian Wood not really sure. McMahon said they probably could get what they gave up for him, which is uh, a late first-round pick and future salary. Is that something the Mavericks would be willing to do? Uh, not sure. And, of course, Christian Wood hasn't played in a while now. I think more than a week because of the thumb injury he suffered. So remains to be seen how long he's going to be out with that. Yeah, I personally wouldn't be. I mean, I personally wouldn't be a fan of if it's just going to be that same package that we got him for or that we dealt away to get him. I don't think it's worth it to get rid of Christian Wood. I think it's worth it to kind of roll the dice and see how he looks in a playoff setting, even if the extension isn't agreed to. I agree with you entirely there. I think with a playoff series under his belt, yeah, the extension talks would have helped you on the contract negotiations front, but... You know, at least now you have an idea of what his value really is. He hasn't been tested before. You don't want to give him up for too little. Yeah, plus the haul to, like, if we if we were to deal him for the same haul that we gave out to get him, um, the, most, the most enticing part of that haul is a late first-round pick, and... If the Mavericks were a good drafting team, then that would mean something. But they, the jury's still out. You know, um, the past couple of seasons they've been doing a tiny bit better when they've had a pick, but the jury is very much still out and does not give me much room for optimism. So I'm not, I'm not very moved at the idea of the Mavericks getting a late first round pick. Now, if they were going to get a lotto pick, that's very different because they've only had one of them in the past you know, five years, and that's Luca, right? So, Wait, no, they had Dennis Smith. Yeah, Dennis Smith. Oh, yeah, Dennis, but was that five years ago? I guess so. Yeah, Dennis, yeah, almost, too. And Almost six years ago. Oh. It was crazy. Town sometimes Town. you get Luca, sometimes you get Dennis, so um, even that's a little mixed, but I'm sure the Mavericks, especially with the way that we do have a couple of decently deep draft classes coming up, I'm sure they would be able to hit on, like, a lotto pick, but um even still like with their reputation preceding them it's a lot better to just like stick with the guy you already have and you know and who puts up i'm not gonna say borderline all-star stats but 
Who can have stretches where he looks like one? I think the lotto pick, though, now that you say that, I wouldn't do it, but if we got a lotto pick for Christian Wood, I mean, it depends on what it would be. It, but. You would need to package somebody with Christian Wood. There's no way that yeah, you're trading Christian exactly. Wood at this deadline alone and you're getting anything more than a middle-level first-round pick from I it. I agree. Um, I agree. So it would have to be a package with somebody else. And if it was a package, then it might have to be a three-team deal. So, yeah, could be very complex, a lot of moving pieces. Any draft pick that you give up, even if it's just one draft pick that you that they can realistically trade, whatever, I think it's, what, 2027 or whatever the year is, um, that's just one less pick that you're not going to be able to put in a hypothetical package for overpaying for a second type of star next to Luka, which is what I think the game plan is going to be this summer. Yeah, the Mavs just need to stop hemorrhaging assets because of their bad front office decisions. Like, th- that's not going to help them. The solution would actually be to stop making like hasty gambling decisions and then just allow the strength of time and having Luka Doncic, which is always on your side, <laughs> just carry you <laughs> to inevitably being better than you are right now, which is so bad that you almost lost to the goddamn Detroit Pistons. Yeah, I mean, it is good that the Mavericks are exercising some discipline uh, and not you know, not seeming like they're going to make a panic trade. I mean, hopefully they don't, but as of right now, it doesn't seem like that they're leaning in that direction. I mean, it sucks that they are in this position, but this is the right approach in that, you know, it kind of all goes back to the Kristaps Porzingis trade not working out combined with some of the the other misses that they've had in recent years, like trading Seth Curry for Josh Richardson and, and that trade not working out either, or DeLon Wright not working out here in Dallas anyways like these are all guys who ended up leaving the team and getting better um and if they had that version of the player here in Dallas like this current roster might look a lot different so um yeah I mean really you just got to kind of wait it out until the summer and you'll have some more options but there's I think at least a move or two that they can make here in the short term that can at least give them a different look um and maybe give them you know some more data points going into the offseason because I think it's clear at this point that this current iteration of the Mavericks of Luka and a bunch of stationary shooters uh, is has maxed out its potential and, and a new approach is needed and I think we've all felt this way uh, for at least the past season. The more we talk about it and Jay the more you talk about it the more my conclusion is that Mark Cuban and the Mavericks are going to cost average down from the Kristaps Porzingis contract and basically just go all in on D'Lo. And I, I, don't, I don't know if that's a horrible thing. Um, honestly, this is just me preparing myself for like the, mo- the worst case hustler scenario. Um, so yeah. I think Luca should be allowed to carry weapons on him when he plays basketball. That would probably solve a lot of our issues. This this man just said, arm the teachers to stop school shootings, except in the NBA. What the hell? I think that's probably a good concluding point for this episode. Yeah, anything longer than 45 minutes and we go off the rails. Yeah, well, I, I think that this was a good discussion. I mean, it's it's uh, been interesting to see the Mavericks uh, come up in more trade rumors than I think we're used to 
seeing. Um, but it does speak to how this team is thinking um, with the trade deadline coming up. I think unlike last season, there's not like a, you know a, something that you can point to like last year. There was COVID. Um, this year, you know they have faced a lot of injuries recently, but in the beginning of the season when they were healthy, it's not like they were playing that much better. So I think it is becoming clear that. Uh, change is needed now it just remains to be seen how much change uh, we get at the deadline but there's 11 days until the trade deadline I'm sure we're going to see a lot more rumors with the Mavericks and just uh, buckle up in the words of Donnie Nelson chat GPT says we're getting Malik Monk from the Charlotte Hornets guys hey that would be great did we really end the podcast with the Donnie Nelson and chat GPT yep (laughs) All right, guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Mavs Film Room podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Mavs Film Room if you haven't already. We'll keep you up to date with all the happenings here before the February 9th trade deadline. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. Um, Thank you all for your support. We'll, uh, We'll be back with another episode soon, I'm sure. And until then, go Mavs.